hairs on my body started standing on end. Silent. Nothing there. I fought to get back into my body. You are going to be a vital importance of helping us convince the masses. Type 471. Type 471. Bridge to the other world. Bridge to the other world. Welcome to Type 471. I'm Sam Kitchen. Today, my guest is Harry Kokonor, a man who has had a lot of experiences, uh, some really intense experiences. He encountered a Sasquatch. He's, he's one of those people who just has a lot of profound experiences, and I'm very eager to talk with Harry today. Harry, welcome to Type 471. How are you today? Hey, thank you. I'm all right. Good, good. I appreciate you taking the time to speak with me today. So let's start from the beginning. Well, you know what? Let's start from your, your Bigfoot encounter, and then we'll get into, you know, all kinds of other stuff, I'm sure. So let's let's start with that that camping trip where that Bigfoot experience happened. Yeah, my first camping trip. That was pretty good. That was pretty cool. Um, well, I was seven years old. It was 1978. Yeah, 1978. And the summertime... Of Kern River, we drove out here to camp for a week, and um, you know, my cousins and I rode up in the back of my uncle's, uh, like I think it was '56 Ford Taurus Green, and we rode all on the back of the truck all the way up here, and it was beautiful. And uh, coming from LA, because I was born and raised in South LA. In Carson, Long Beach, Wilmington, San Pedro, Compton area. So I'm seeing something like this just blew my mind. But we came up here and we were camping out for a week, playing frisbee, rolling on the hills, my cousins playing in the shallow water. The fourth day came across. I told you about this. And I was looking at the water and I was looking at a particular spot that just stayed there. It would never move as a white circle. They wouldn't move. The water rushed by, but the white circle always stayed right there. My dad comes up behind me. What you looking at, son? I pointed at at the white circle. Next thing I knew, uh, he lifted me up and threw me by my feet and my hands into that white circle. And I didn't know how to swim, but I realized I could swim because I dock paddled out of there. The next day came around, and my dad and um, three of his friends, is one of one of my uncles and his son and his best friend, 13, 14-year-old, and my uncle. And my dad, and they all had energy on their shoulders, and they said, come on, follow us. And I was like, oh, okay, grab an inner tube, and I grabbed an inner tube. Not knowing what to expect or what we're doing. And I started hiking with them. This hike went on quite a long time. Uh, say 45 minutes. We were walking through the watery mush mud. And I started lagging. 
about 20 to 50 feet behind the, the group. They kept walking, talking. I'm, I'm seven. I'm really not hearing them or talking. I'm just following. And it turned into land. The watery mush turned into a pass. And we started, they started on the path. And I could see them taking the path. And I was almost up to the, to where the water comes out to the path. And I seen a black flash in front of him. Just covered the whole path in front of him. Just just a hair of a second. And I was like, thinking my head as I'm coming out of the water. Didn't anybody see that? And then all of a sudden, all three of them started coughing and gagging. And and then they turned and ran off. And I'm seven years old. I'm a little scared as I ran up. But when I ran up, I hit that. It was a pocket of smell. And I hit that, and it stunk so bad. It smelled like an ancient man, a really old man. It was a human. I could smell. I remember the smell. But I never smelled anybody that bad. And I could smell the fresh kill, probably uh, on his fur or something. I could smell the blood and the fresh kill, and it did smell good. But it was that that mix did not smell good. I turned my head to cough, and as I did, in my right eye, I seen them peek at me from around a big pine tree, way up high, eight nine feet up in there. There, peek at me, and I I don't know if I stopped coughing or I stopped breathing, but I just just stood up and I looked at him. My eyes locked what I seen. I locked on his eyes. Then he revealed himself. He stepped out from behind a tree and looked at me. And I was a little kid. He probably could have took one step and stomped me right into the mud. But he didn't. It was a Quite big, eight to nine feet tall. He seemed to be Caucasian with a chalky white face with a green smear on his face, which all these years I tried to figure out what that green smear was or why his face was white and chalky. But he looked Caucasian, you know, his bone structure and his face looked Caucasian. But it was twice as big as our big men. You know, men that we know, the big guys, it was twice, two times their size of the head. And his eyes were black. And he stepped out from behind the tree and revealed it wasn't all black. It wasn't all black. It was a dark brown, amber color with the reddish brown. And it was like a blonde, a blonde highlight. I could see it coming off the sunlight. It's a handsome man, but I recognized. I just seen Bigfoot um, on the on television. That's why I knew what I was looking at. But the Bigfoot on television had nothing like the, the real one. Um, the one I saw was on the Bionic Man. That Bigfoot. And that's where I learned about Bigfoot. 
And here we go, a week or two later, I'm not sure, to go camping. And I see one. Wow. <laughs> I, I knew what it was. I knew what it was. It was huge. And he was so muscular. He had muscles as six pack. He didn't have hair on the front. He had hair on his shoulders, his neck, his head. And his face was pretty bare. And the hair didn't cover his chest or stomach. You know, it was around those areas. The hair was quite long. It seemed like six inches long everywhere. And I realized what I was looking at, I ran up because the guys ran off. And I ran up to where the guys were supposed to be. And, and I ran up and I see my dad and I pulled on the shorts. I said, Dad, Dad. And he turned around, what? Bigfoot, he's right there behind that tree, Dad. And I'm pointing 20, 30 feet behind me. And my dad and the fellas, they look all at the same time. Nobody taking a step forward. I said, he's right there behind that tree, Dad. My dad looked for a second and he patted me out of the back and he says we're not here for that son keep up here with us <laughs> i try to keep up then we went on for yeah I, well surprisingly nobody cared to go look but i don't blame them but uh, yeah that's what they were coughing and everything that was him he was right here by us he didn't leave i think he Passed us up, and he went to turn back around and use the path that we were on. Mm -hmm. And that he was just behind the trees. We passed him up, you know, just really bad smelling. And um, like I told you, I we walked about another 10 minutes, got in the water, and first rapids, I went over. No, next thing I know, I was standing on the big boulder, underneath the Kern River, underneath the rapids, looking up at the sunlight, gazing in about two and a half feet above me. And I could see two fish on the side of me, just swimming, just staying still, two trouts. Next thing I know, I got a big forearm coming in the water, and just crooked me under my arm and throw me on his lap. We rode the rapids out to the campground. That was that experience. A lot of things stand out to me about what you've described about the the Sasquatch part of it. Um, well, well, the whole thing is amazing. I mean, that that was quite a camping trip. Actually, a few other things happened on that trip as well that I that I would like to to get into. Um, but but as for the the Sasquatch encounter. I really make note of the fact that you recognized his smell as a human smell, a very, very old human smell. I think it's interesting that you both acknowledged or that you recognized the human aspect of the smell and the old aspect of the smell. I find that very interesting. I just wonder what that's all about. He looked like a Caucasian beast of face, but it was a chalky white and it was twice the size of a normal head. His jawbone stuck out to me. He had a massive jawbone. He had a six-pack. He had big old guns on his arms. and Man, he looked like a superhero. Just standing there looking at me, kind of like waiting for me to tell him what to do or something. They just stood there and looked at me, and I looked at him. <laughs> yeah. 
Oh, I, I like that. I like how you put that. He was just, it was like, he was standing there waiting for you to tell him what to do. <laughs> I wonder. Yeah. It, it was kind of weird. It was, it was. Yeah. But, uh, after I, after I found him or I seen him and he seen me, he recognized kind of like, ah, you seen me. Matter of fact, when he stepped out from behind a tree, he made a small grunt, you know, a little thing like that. We looked at each other. I tripped out. I'm looking at superhero, Harry, superhero. You know, I ran up to my dad to tell him, but nobody went to go look. So I wanted to ask you more about this green smear. I find this very interesting. You said that this covered... It wasn't a smear. It was like a faded green. It was, it was like a dull, a, a dull green, but it was all over his face. Huh. You know? But underneath it, it looked like uh, chalky white. Like a, if your feet were out in the sun too long, they get chalky. Mm-hmm. It, his face looked like that. But, uh, white skin underneath it but with the green tint or something to his face hmm so i just want to understand it it definitely looked like there was something on his face like it wasn't part of his skin color no like he just went through a swamp or something and somehow his face turned green with it i don't know right right and uh just just so I can say we were completely methodical here, I, 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 w- I want to ask exactly where on his face this green splotchy stuff was. Was it like on the top part of his face or the bottom part of his face? No, like from his eyebrows um, to his chin, you know, it was all covered up. Wow. Yeah, was, like I told you, like you stuck his face in something, just shuck his head. I don't know. Yeah, well, you're right. It's like he just stuck his face in something. Then that's that. <laughs> so it wasn't like caked on. There weren't. There there wasn't like a lot of it. It was just like a very thin. It was on top of his complexion. It was faded like kind of green, and that was on his face. That's very interesting to me. A lot of things are very interesting about this to me. That your your description of him is really compelling. So. Other things happened on this camping trip. Wasn't there something that happened like a couple days before this? Oh, my father threw me in the water. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. 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 There's that. But uh, what about the dead bodies? Oh, that's right. The first thing when we got there, uh, we jumped out of my uncle's truck and I knew the water was right there. I wanted to go see it. And my cousins followed. And we all jumped out, ran to the water. But my mom was and my aunts were already there. And my mom stopped us with her hand. And I looked over her hand and I could see two bodies, a male and a female, floating by. And this is 1978 in the summertime. I'm not sure if it's August or September. But these two bodies were floating by. And my mother said, There's two bodies floating by. Hold your cousins back. You know, we don't want them to see this. And I turned around and held him back. You know, that was the first hour we were there at the campsite. Pretty ironic. Yeah, no kidding. I find that pretty incredible. First, that that you saw these dead bodies and a Bigfoot in the same camping trip. I mean, what are the odds of that? First day, I seen the dead bodies, yeah, within the first hour. 
the fifth day camp and that's when I seen Bigfoot. Yeah. So did you ever learn what was the story with these dead bodies? No, I did not. Okay. And as you saw them, what kind of condition were they in? I mean, I don't want to get too graphic. I'm not just trying to be. I, no, I, no, I just seen no blood. I just seen them chest, both chest down. Yeah, you know, see the back. Um, the female and the male, they're both in bathing suits. And, but my mom said they're dead. I seen them floating. I was like, okay, help my cousins back, you know, a little while. So we can go play at the water. I, I have to wonder about the possibility that they were connected to the Sasquatch. Do you think there is any connection there? You know, I don't. I, I don't know how what his attitude is, <laughs> but I just know what I saw and his attitude. He presented to me, which was like he was waiting for a command. But as far as I think he heard somebody, I don't know. I really don't know. I would think not. They're, I think they're gentle giants. I do myself. I don't. I don't know what happened to those two. Yeah, and I tend to agree with you. I think they're peaceful. If they have a choice, they're peaceful. I mean, I don't. I don't think they're aggressive unless they feel a very real need to be aggressive. I think so too. Yeah. All right. So you have had, in addition to your Bigfoot encounter, you've had paranormal experiences as well. Yeah. Seven years later, I was 14. I was living in Carson, Los Angeles. And um, my friends and I were playing basketball and their little sister, which is close to our age, she was 13, 14 too. And we're playing basketball and our neighbors, or my friend's neighbor, where we were playing bas- basketball in front of his house on his court. Um, we used his and his neighbors because both garages were opposite of each other and concrete was shared. And so we ran back down forth playing full court, me and my um, three friends, Tommy, Mike, and William. And uh, Sabrina sat on the sidelines. You know, cheering us on, whatever she was doing, just being a little sister. As we played, running back and forth, our, our my friend's neighbor came home, the one that lived on the other side of the other court, and uh, and we we talked to him. He had just got his license. He was sixteen. He wanted to do some more driving. He he said, "I'll take you guys to Long Beach. You guys can play basketball over there." And we were like, yeah, he had a little pickup truck. Uh, we are like, okay. So we all hopped in the pickup truck and we went to Long Beach. And we played with the Queen Mary over on the side of us. We could see the Queen Mary as we played basketball. And we played basketball until dark. And we pretty much said quit. And Sabrina says, I got an idea. Let's go to the Queen Mary. And the rest of us were like, oh, okay. So we all walked over there to the Queen Mary. To our surprise, there was nobody around. There was an absolutely no. It was like a ghost town right there in that second. There was like nobody. This is a big city, but there was nobody there. And we couldn't see anybody on the ship. And Sabrina looked and she ran up and we all followed. 
and we all ran up and we stood up there like, okay, now we're going to get in trouble. And we all looked around. We still didn't see anybody. And we walked through the first class. I guess, I don't know what's called the ship. Walked through a glass door up top and we looked at um, some, some things of the ship. Then we walked through to the other end of the glass door, you know, leading up to the ship's front end. Then my friend tags one of us and says, you're it. And me and all my other friends, we all took off. You know, Tommy was it. And so we all took off to hide. Me, I went to the left and uh, underneath, um, there's three of those big pipes on top of the Queen Mary. The, the third one, the one close to the front of the ship, there was a doorway underneath it. And I went in that doorway, and there was a stairway going down. And I started running down, still excited. I'm trying to hide from my friend. He's probably looking for us now. And I'm going down the stairs, and I'm noticing it's quite big under here. And I don't want to get lost. So I seen a door to my right. It, was, it had a black curtain. And I said, well, that's close to the stairway. I'll just hide in there for a minute. And I ran over there, and I pulled that curtain open, and I went in. My eyes got used to the light, and there was a man standing, sitting at a round table with the derby hat on the table. He had one eyepiece, had a mustache like handlebars, straight, you know, big, probably eight inches on both sides or something. That was like handlebars. And he looked at me, and I was looking at him. Then I just looked and see what's going on. And I see a lady on stage with puffy white shorts and puffy white blouse kicking up or one leg at a time, you know. Then I look over to the shadows. I hear people laughing, but I can't see them. Then I look back at the guy, and he was still staring. He was looking right at me. Then I started getting the feeling I, I shouldn't be here. So I went and I left. I turned around and I left and um, I ran back upstairs and my friend goes, oh, I got you. You're it. And I'm like, no, 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 wait, wait, wait. We're not alone, dude. There's people here. No way. I said, yeah, down there. I just ran into them. And then my other friends came out of hiding. What? What are you talking about? And I said, just other people here. And I explained to everybody what I just saw. And uh, my big friend, Hawaiian friend, he was like, oh, where at? And I said, oh, we're down the stairs. And he started running down the stairs, and I'm I'm right behind him and everybody else. And he's all, that room there? You know, I yeah, just explained it to him. So he knew what I was talking about, the room with the dark curtain. And, my, and William ran over to it, and he peeled it back, and all of our heads just lined in the doorway like Scooby-Doo. And we were all gazing in. But there was nobody there. Only thing there was was the smell of booze and cigars, and there was nobody in there. All of our heads lined up, still looking. Sabrina lets out a ooh, and we all just got scared. And we ran up the stairs and off that ship, and I don't know if any of us have ever been back. That's, that's quite something. How old did you say you were at this time? 14. 
14, that's what I thought. Okay, and um, so you walk down there, and this guy with the handlebar mustache and the derby is sitting there. Sounds like he's enjoying a, a performance, a stage performance. This dancer is doing the can-can. Was your 14-year-old self familiar with the can-can? No, I have no idea. <laughs> yeah, I didn't think so. Up. I've been trying to look up old clothes, you know, like 1900s or something when the ship probably started. But I can't find anybody dressed in those kind of clothes that I seen, you know, that particular day. Well, if you look up dancers doing the can-can, you will find those fluffy shorts that you're talking about. Really? Yeah. Yeah. That's pretty neat. That's pretty neat. I got something to look forward to. Good, good. Yeah, I'm glad I could give you that little clue because that, you know, I don't know a lot about the can-can myself, but the can-can the dancers, they wear those those fluffy shorts that you're describing. Really? I, it just amused to me, man. Yeah, I, I'm anxious to, to see what you think when you see the pictures after you look that up. I'm just going to be in awe. <laughs> That's pretty cool. Uh, and I also find it very interesting that there was nobody around outside of the ship. I wonder what that was all about. What what time of day was this? It was the evening. The sun was just about down. You know, mm-hmm. it was it was weird, man. It was like a, I've been there before, and there was always people walking around and doing things. But this particular day, there was nobody around. Yeah, it was weird. Yeah, well, I've I've lived much of my life in L.A. and Orange Counties as well. I'm familiar with the area you're describing, and I can't imagine there not being anybody around during you know that time of day that you're that you're talking about. Exactly. That's what so that strikes my memory. It's strange. It's very strange. It is. It's a little otherworldly. It sounds. Yeah, almost a time portal or something. Yeah, yeah, that's kind of what I was thinking. Um, so you've had you've had other experiences as well, haven't you? Uh, yeah, the one in particular I can think of, I'll never forget. <sighs> well, this this story is about a white light that came to me, and it was so bright white. It was brighter than white, and it had holding holy feeling about it where it drew my arms back when i saw it and i just felt like oh you know it was like i stepped in church and when this light appeared and blew up in front of my face and and just blew up and lit up the whole room this room with no windows in my grandma's house i thought it was my grandma she just passed away two weeks ago and I'm sleeping in her futon bed right now because this is where she used to sleep. And, and I haven't been down the hill for a couple of months. I didn't come down to her funeral because I didn't want to see my grandma like that. I just want to remember the happy times of my grandma. And anyway, I slept in her room. Her and my grandfather I had different rooms. I slept in her room and I laid there on a futon facing the wall and my eyes were getting used to the dark and I was staring at the wallpaper. I remember my dad hanging for my grandma and how happy it made my grandma. 
I remember that smile. And uh, then I looked at my clock and it was like 107. I was like, oh my God, it's late. It's early. And I rode over. And when I rode over, a white light came out of the ceiling and went like instantly right in front of my face. And that when blew up, just went like that. And it was like, oh, and it was like, holy feeling I was telling you about. Like stepping in church, but way, way stronger than that. And I thought it was my grandma. I sat up in bed in the next room over. I didn't want to wake my step-grandfather or my cousin or aunt and her boyfriend and baby. I didn't want to wake anybody. I sat up in bed. I thought, Grandma, is that you? What is it? What are you? Grandma, what are you trying to tell me? And I fell asleep wondering what what I just saw and what are you trying to tell me, you know, Grandma? I woke up, my aunt shaking me next room over. She's a couple months younger than me, but she's still my aunt. That's her car, my cousin, because she's younger than me. But she's my aunt. She was shaking me with tears in her eyes. And when I looked at her, I seen her boyfriend come up in the doorway in his boxers. And I looked at his face and he had tears in his eyes. So I grabbed my cousin, my aunt, by her shoulders and I pulled her down to the futon level. I'm laying sideways. What the fuck is it? What? And she said, your son stopped breathing. And, you know, that blew me away. No, it wasn't my grandmother. It was probably my son's spirit saying goodbye. I don't know. You know, I contacted my wife finally because I, I tried calling her from the house phone, but my my aunt came up behind me and she's all, "No, she's not there. She's not there. She rode in the ambulance with with your son." And I hung the phone up. I'm like, shit. I get to get up the hill. It's an hour and a half away. Yeah, that's what happened. That was my son passing. He was three and a half months. Beautiful little boy. Blue eyes, brown hair. Jesse Eclipse Coconut. Uh, yeah. I got two daughters after that. It's uh, what I can remember right now. Yeah. I'm so sorry to hear about your loss, Harry. That's that's awful. I thought I'd never get over it, but and I I still ain't quite over it. But time does heal all wounds, you know. Yes. Yeah. There there is healing, but you know, I mean, sure, it's understandable that you're not over it completely. I mean, I don't know if anybody ever gets over these things completely i think you know the good and the bad they take him to your grave you know yeah but that was a profound experience that you had when you you mentioned this light coming out of the ceiling so you saw this light like with your eyes coming out of the ceiling yeah exactly it was like a bowling ball it was i seen a half a bowling ball at first 
you know, when I started to get, when I started rolling over, I seen a half bowling ball, white light coming out of the ceiling. But as I finished my roll, that whole light was in front of me, like a bowling ball size, pure white, whiter than white. I don't know how to explain that. This white light was whiter than white. And it has this holy feeling, man. It's like, oh, and it's like, you just, I'm starting to think there must have been somebody holy in that light. Make me feel like that. Either my son on his way to heaven or maybe the Holy Spirit. I don't know. It definitely sounds like you had a holy experience to me. And, and I've heard of that, people saying something much like that before, where, you know, the light is whiter than white or it's bright to the extent that you can't even describe it or comprehend it based on anything that you're aware of physically, you know, like it's brighter than the sun, it's brighter than the than the brightest thing you've ever experienced in the physical world. People experience this incredibly bright, bright light. So I've heard of people describing it very similarly to the way you described it. It was a white light, but it was brighter than white. I don't know how to put it. I think it's a feeling that came with it, you know, to intensify that light. That feeling that you're describing, that's, you know, that's a part of it. Well, on the spiritual level, I mean, feelings and sight and experience, it's all part of the same thing. So the, the feeling that goes along with it would also kind of be part of its brightness. Yeah, I, yeah, I guess so. Well, it makes sense to me. It does. It kind of makes sense. I, yeah, it does. You know the feeling when you go in church, it kind of feels good and you feel holy yourself, you know, you feel, you feel like you're doing a good thing, you know, that feeling. Yeah. Well, well, if you can intensify that by, by, I don't know, a hundred or a million, man, that's how I felt when that light appeared, you know, it's like I was walking in church, but in front of God or something, because it felt like I just threw my hands back. And there's nothing I could do about it. While that light, I threw my hands to my side. It was like, ah, I just was in the trance for a second. The light went away. And that's, I said, oh, Grandma, was that you? I was like, talking, what are you, what are you telling me? But it wasn't my grandma. Sorry to say. She passed on two weeks before that. I just thought it was her. Yeah. And then shortly thereafter, you learned that something else had happened. And yeah. Yeah. Tragic. Yeah. And I had a priest, a priest visit me, my wife, for about a month, once a week, you know, to condone and help us to to make light of everything and say prayers with us. Yep. Yep. All right. Well, it's connected to tragedy, yeah. I'm, I'm so sorry that, that that tragic event happened. You have your insights. It tells you, at least, that there's so much oh, more. Yeah. There's a lot more than this. That's all I've been doing is studying and you know what? At first, I was pissed off at God. I was 18. I just turned 18, April 3rd. April 20th, my son passed away. April 20th. Yeah, now we call that marijuana day. 
But that was the day he passed away. It was April 20th. 17 days after my birthday, 10 days after my wife's birthday, we just turned 18. That blew us. That blew our mind, man. It was hard to get over. But we're, we're over it, and we're still together, amazingly. Yeah, that's great. That's a strong marriage right there. That's good. I'm glad to hear yeah, that. Yeah, that's strong, strong, okay. Well, all right, Harry. So I get the feeling there there are a few more uh, experiences you've had along these lines. Um, I I have, but you know what? Tell you the truth, I'm I'm stuck. Um, I'm thinking about my son. I can't I can't talk very much longer. All right. Well, that's very fair. Thank you for communicating that to me. I'll just let you go, and um, I appreciate the time that you've taken to speak with me today and uh, sharing those things with us. I know it's very painful. It will do somebody some good. It's good to share your experience and people can learn from that. So I appreciate that. I hope so, man. I really do. And I want to get this out ever since it, ever since it happened. You know, I wanted to tell everybody about it, the whole world. But uh, I, can, I didn't have a way to. I could tell my cousins and my family and my uncles and aunties and grandparents, but, you know, until this podcast came around, I really didn't think it was ever going to get out, get the news out. So, well, I thank you for letting me use your podcast. That was pretty cool. No, oh, it's my pleasure. I'm glad that you're getting your story out there. It's a profound experience and is profound for you, and I think it can be profound for other people, too. It could be. I'm not too sure. I can't wait to hear some reactions, but I, I don't know. Yeah, well, we'll put it out there, and you let me know what people you know have to say. Sounds good. Thank you very much. Yeah, Harry, thank you so much for being on Type 471 today. Okay, sir. Have a good day. You too. Take care. Listening to paranormal podcasts or watching paranormal TV shows, I think it's very easy for people to just kind of assign it all to the realm of entertainment and forget the human aspect of what's happening. These are very real experiences had by very real people, and they're often associated with very difficult subject matter and Harry's story has the potential to remind us of that. I want to say thank you to Harry for having the strength and bravery to share with us. Look for Type 471 Podcast wherever you get your podcasts. If you like what you're hearing, please follow the show. Look for Type 471 Podcast across social media, and be sure to check out the Type 471 Podcast YouTube channel. I'm Sam Kitchen. Thanks for listening to Type 471.